Thank you so much for being here this evening. Would you open a Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 13? That is where we are going to be reading together here in just a few moments. The Gospel of Luke chapter 13. Hope that you've had a good day today. Thank you for being here this evening. Thank you for so enthusiastically singing out, for opening up your word, God's word, being ready to learn and study together. Thank you for allowing me over the course of the last few weeks to walk with you through four, now this evening five, doors of the Bible. As we have highlighted a couple of times, this was the focal point of our vacation Bible school. Those those few days are always special each year as we do our best to take big Bible ideas and boil them down to areas and principles and word pictures and visual aids to help our children, hopefully from a very young age, learn some really, really big, important lessons. There are a variety of ways, obviously, that we have tried to do that over the years. Most recently, this past June, we just focused on five different doors. And there was a lot of work, obviously, that went into that. And as adults, we haven't outgrown the lessons that we can learn from these. So post-vacation Bible school, we've gone back and visited them. And one of my favorite parts of this experience has been afterwards having different little kids come up to me and share with me I remember that. Let me tell you what I remember about that. That has been super encouraging to me. As we have visited the ark door and then the Passover door and the sheep door and last Sunday morning the tomb door. We've learned as we have visited and revisited those doors that sin is serious. And its consequences on human lives can be devastating. And there are adversaries of God and of our own souls that are very, very real. But at every step of the way, God has provided a door. And He's not going to force me or you or anyone else to go through that door. But He has made it available. One of the classic passages on temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation is going to come my way or your way even this week. That is not common to man, but God is faithful. Yes, sin is serious. And yes, there are very real adversaries, but God is faithful. And he's always going to provide a door. A way of escape. We draw this little series to a close in Luke chapter 13, focusing on the narrow door. Can you see in your Bibles there, Luke chapter 13, verse 24, where this idea comes from. Luke 13, 24, words of Jesus, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
Would you put a marker there or a little piece of paper? We're going to come back to Luke chapter 13 in just a few minutes. For now, go with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 22. Numbers 22. You and I, we understand what it is like to encounter narrow situations, right? Some of you have hiked through the narrows in Zion National Park. Others of you maybe haven't gone out west, but you've been to Rock City in Tennessee and you have seen, maybe passed through that 10-foot stretch known as Fat Man Squeeze. Or a little closer to home, sorry if this gives some of you some hot flashes, We've had interesting times here in our metro area, haven't we, as essentially one of the narrow doors that you have to pass through in order to cross the Ohio River. Well, it's been complicated, hasn't it? I have had more than one of you, especially on Wednesday evenings, just come in and shake your head as you have tried to get over here from the other side of the river. What is a bridge other than a narrow door with a narrow entrance that you have to pass through in order to get from here to there? All up and down the Ohio River are narrow channels that barge drivers get paid a great deal of money to navigate in order to safely pass through various sections of the long Ohio River. We know what it is to pass through narrow situations. Put your Bible open there to Numbers chapter 22. Let me give you a biblical example Balaam is a prophet, and God has warned him, God has coached him, and Balaam is having a tough time deciding exactly what he wants to do, and and he decides to go ahead and listen to a, a powerful king and he's going to go and he's he's going to at least think about what this powerful king Balak wants him to do we just jump right into the middle of the story numbers 22 verse 22 God's anger was kindled because Balaam went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary God isn't pleased with this Now, Balaam was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. Balaam doesn't see in this odd, miraculous turn of events and and so Balaam strikes the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a Notice the description, a a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and and crushed Balaam's foot. And, And now he's really not happy. He strikes her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place. We all understand, don't we, what it is to encounter a a narrow place 
Here's how this one is described. Where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. With that in our minds, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. And the reason that we, we do that this evening, the reason that we're talking about this as our fifth and final door is Jesus used that everyday word picture, that everyday common occurrence, if you're going to walk into the walled city of Jerusalem, there are several different doors, several different gates whereby you could go in or out of the city. And Jesus used, as he so often did, that everyday word picture to challenge and teach and sharpen the understanding and the zeal of of his disciples. This comes toward the end of his great sermon on the mount. I want to zero in with you Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 where he said, "Enter by the narrow gate." Four. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Now, last Sunday morning... We camped right there outside of the tomb of that man who died on the middle cross, just outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And it took us a little while, but we landed on if his tomb is empty and if he showed in no uncertain terms... I went into this tomb for a reason, but that tomb could not contain me. Death itself could not defeat me. If that is true, the way that we learned last Sunday morning, where we landed was, I need to listen to everything that man who came out of that tomb says. The most important thing is not how I feel about him or what he says. The most important thing is not whether or not I, if it were up to me, would change some of the things that he taught or demanded or, or, or challenged. St- stepping on my toes. The, the most important thing is not that I maybe got my feelings hurt. The most important thing is he lived for me. And he died For my sins. And he told us before he went into the tomb that three days later he was going to come out. And in fact he did. He appeared to many, many people we learned. Sometimes extremely large crowds at one time. Which means I need to listen to what he says. Including in his great sermon on the mount. And what he has said in these couple of sentences is not hard to understand. Let's just try and boil it down to in its most simplest, simple elements. There are only two gates. 
You know, Jerusalem had a lot more than two gates. Lots of cities in the ancient world had more than two gates. It's not that no one could possibly imagine having more than two entrances. No, that was commonplace. But in this illustration toward the end of this greatest sermon where the king of all kings tells us about his kingdom. He frames it as there's just two gates. And those gates are entrances to two different ways. There's just two ways. One that leads to destruction and one that leads to life. And the majority of people are passing through the wrong gate, walking the wrong path, headed for the wrong destination. Why should I care what he said? He's the man who died on the middle cross and spent three days in the tomb. And came out of that tomb door. That's why I should care. He is the one, as we learned last Sunday morning, that will eventually, with the power of his mighty voice, call all of the tomb doors to open. He is the one before whom we will all appear. He is the reason why we have life. He is the one to whom we are accountable. He is the king. And everybody understood 2,000 years ago, if I want to get to the king, I've got to pass through the king's gate. If I want to enter the kingdom of the king, I've got to pass through the king's gate. Jesus used this everyday idea on more than one occasion. Let's go back where we opened our Bibles first to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, I want to read just a little with you beginning in verse 22 to show you this is the king talking about his kingdom. Your Bible open there to Luke chapter 13. I want you to notice with me verse 22. Luke 13, 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Maybe they've They've heard something along these lines that Jesus from Nazareth has said something like that. I'd like a little bit of clarification. And he said to them, listen to the verb, strive. Strive to. You're you're not born in there. You're not placed there because of who your mama or daddy were. You're not born in there because you're a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a choice, as we've noticed so often with these doors. Lots of adversaries within and without, but God always provides a door, and yet he's not going to force anybody through it. It's a choice. And here, Jesus, the way that we tried to help our our littlest hearts to wrap their minds around this. I don't know if any of you are 
like me where you, you, you know that maybe your wife has gone to the grocery store and you're very appreciative for her navigating all of that, making sure that all of that has been bought and it's in the back of the car and you hear the garage door up and you want, you, you want to be helpful and you play this game where you see just how many things you can carry in in just one or two trips. Anybody else like that? Maybe... Um, a jug of milk has been a casualty or time or two because you tried to, to carry too many things. The way that we tried to help our littlest hearts to understand this is, you know, you imagine trying to carry two backpacks and three suitcases and four grocery bags and a dog and a large drink without a top through a really small door. It's not always going to work very well, is it? Jesus is using that, that simple word picture that we can all understand. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Verse 25 of Luke 13. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me all you workers of evil. In that place where he tells them to depart, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in, what's Jesus really talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God. And behold, he concludes, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. It ought to make us ask, why? He, he has told us in verse 24 to strive, strive to enter through the narrow door because many will seek and won't be able to enter. Why not? Well, keep your hand there and go back with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Here's one reason. And it was a reason that even our, our littlest kids could wrap their minds. I mean, many of you saw them, right? Right over here in this hallway where in order to get into that room during vacation Bible school, they had to pass through a really narrow door. And for some of them, it wasn't a big deal at all. They just kept walking. And, and even for some of us adults, it was a little easier than others to get through that short, narrow door. Why won't some be able to enter the kingdom of God. That's what this is about. The king is telling us about his kingdom, and if I want to enter his kingdom, I've got to pass through his gate. Why won't many be able to? Well, number one, they're trying to carry things that won't fit through the door. You just scan Matthew 5 and 6 and... That is what much of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus talks about 
anger. There is anger that men and women feel that does not produce the righteousness of God. And there are men and women who have been carrying that anger for a really really long time. And the reason that's worth talking about this evening is there is a kind of human, ungodly, unrighteous anger that will not fit through the door of the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 5, we can read about lust. We can read about revenge. We can read about hatred. We can read about pride. We can read about hypocrisy. We can read about greed. There is a kind of, maybe the simplest word to summarize it all is selfishness. And there are some like there were 2,000 years ago. We'll read about a few of them in just a moment. There are some just like then who are trying to live with one foot in human-fueled, human-centered, human-motivated anger and lust and revenge and hatred and pride and greed and hypocrisy and selfishness meanwhile also trying to have one foot in the kingdom of God and here is the king warning us listen you try to carry that through my gate and it will not fit why couldn't many enter because to borrow from what Jesus said in Luke 13 or Luke 18 Some just don't want to set that baggage down. In Luke chapter 18, we can read all about that. Luke describes him as an exceedingly rich man. And he has a face-to-face audience with the king of kings. And he turns away from the gate. And we don't know what happens next, but we do know on that day, he turned his back on the king and he turned his back on the gate and he went away sorrowfully because he had a whole lot of stuff. Which is what motivated Jesus to say in Luke 18, 25, listen, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person. To enter the kingdom of God. Many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able. Why not? Well. We heard Jesus in Luke 13 talk about the master. Shutting the door. And we've learned that lesson a couple of times, right? We started this entire exercise by just thinking about the nature of doors themselves. Yes, they open, but they also shut. And sometimes once they shut, there's no more opening them. And we talked about how God shut Noah and his family in the ark. And there was a time in that second book of the Bible that the doors that had had blood smeared all around them shut for the last time before firstborns all over the land of Egypt tragically and unnecessarily lost their lives. This is the king we're talking about. And he's got every right to shut the door. 
He's got every right to say, listen, based on the way you chose to live in relation to me, I don't, I don't know you. Go back with me real quick to Matthew chapter 7 if you've turned away. Matthew 7 again, Jesus' most famous sermon. Just lines after that encouragement to enter the narrow gate. You look at Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Why should I care what he says? Because he's the man on the middle cross who came out of the tomb door. And he tells us not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the, what's this all about? The kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This isn't a a matter of having enough money to pass through the door. I mean, we all understand what that's like, right? There are plenty of doors I will never pass through because I just don't have the money to pass through them. I don't have the access to pass through them. I don't know the right people in order to pass through certain doors, and and neither do you. That's not what this door is all about. This door is all about, are you willing to listen to the King of Kings? Are you willing to listen to what the Father in heaven has said? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the one who will enter the kingdom. But the one who came out of the tomb door tells us, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them. Why should I care what he's predicting? Because he came out of the tomb door. That's why. And he's telling us on that day when everyone comes out of their respective tomb doors, I will say to some, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many will seek to enter and will not be able. Why? Because they were trying to carry things that won't fit through the door. And the master shuts the door. And the master doesn't know that he will not allow those who didn't live for him to enter through his door. Maybe the simplest way of putting it is the way the king puts it in Matthew 6 verse 33. They didn't seek first. They didn't seek When it comes to priority. They didn't treat this door. This king. As most important. Before we're done. Would you open your Bibles with me quickly. To 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Could I leave you briefly with five important connections. We'll draw this lesson. And this entire series to a close. Five important connections. Connection number one. If my mindset is more broad than the master's, I'm treading on dangerous ground. What is one of the easiest words to get thrown around in 21st century Western culture? When it comes to people who would choose to believe the Bible... Try and live by the Bible and share the Bible, promote the Bible, 
What's one of the words that you don't have to talk about the Bible very long before you'll hear this word lobbed in your direction and it's not a compliment, at least in their eyes. Well, you're, you're too narrow-minded. And in the eyes of a whole lot of people in 2023, the worst Sin that you can possibly commit is being narrow-minded. Could I lean on our first 25 minutes together? By pleading with you to realize if you are more broad-minded than the master, there's a problem. Because he's the one who came out of the tomb door. He's the king of kings. He in no uncertain terms tells us where our minds are to be set. Passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. Listen, this was written 2,000 years ago. There were people who cared nothing whatsoever about the Spirit of God or what the Spirit of God was inspiring Paul or Peter or James or John or others to preach and, and they would hear what those men had to say about their just being one God and they would be told, well, you're just too narrow-minded. Or they would hear what they, they heard preached by inspiration of the Spirit of God about one man and one woman for life and they would be told, well, you're just too narrow-minded. They, they would hear what... These men preached about Jesus as the one true king. And we've got to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He defines what is right. And we go back and we read Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 and other passages like that. And, and the most important thing about that is not how I feel about it. Those are the words of the king. And for a little while I've got the opportunity and the freedom to hang outside of that door and, and just be like everybody else. Listen, if you were born a man but you want to live like a woman, you know what? I'm broad-minded enough to act like that's okay. And if you're on your fifth marriage and you're living with a sixth guy, who am I to be so narrow-minded as to say, you know, there's probably a pretty fundamental problem here that the king of all kings has something to say about and and if I just want to hang outside of this gate and and live like everybody else and say you know what it really doesn't matter what you believe or who you believe or why you believe it I'm broad-minded enough just to pat you on the back and say if you want to live like that you just go ahead and live like that who am I well I'm to be a disciple of the king and if my mind is more broad than the mind of the master, boy, am I treading on dangerous ground. We shouldn't be surprised when those who have their minds set on this earth look at what the Spirit has said as folly. They're not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things. What's that mean? It means... In all things, I'm comparing what I see and what I hear and what I interact with, with with the message of the Master. 
And if it doesn't line up, I'm not going to allow my mindset to be more broad than the master. Why? Because Paul asked, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have, we have the mind of Christ. And so you, you live with that awareness and, and this week are you going to run across some who think absolutely you should be much more broad-minded? No doubt about it if you open your mouth as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, we've got to come to grips with and be at peace with who we're trying to please. The man who passed through this gate and now is writing back to us and encouraging us you're on the right track said listen am i now seeking the approval of man or of god it's not hard to seek the approval of man it's not hard to maintain the approval of man long as you maintain a mindset broader than the master but i can only do that for a little while before i stand before the master And I answer for my mindset. If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. If my mindset is more broad than the master's, I'm treading on dangerous ground. On the flip side, I don't have the right to make the gate more narrow than the master has made it. There were people in Jesus' day, Jesus rebuked them so strongly in Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. I don't have the right to make it more narrow than the master has made it. And when there were people in the first century, even an apostle of Jesus Christ, who was guilty of leaning in that direction, Paul said, I, I rebuked him and them to their face because their conduct wasn't in step with the truth of the gospel. The good news is the master has made the gate available. I don't have the right to make it any more wide or any more narrow than he's made it. Number three, following him and doing the right thing isn't always going to be easy. And it's not always going to be the most popular way. But there are only two gates. And those gates are entrances to do different ways. And one leads to destruction and one that leads to life. And the majority of people are passing through the wrong gate, walking the wrong path, headed for the wrong destination. Number four, God isn't going to change who he is just because I want to hold on to the wrong thing. Isn't that why Peter, in 1 Peter 5 verse 6 said, we've got to humble ourselves under his mighty hand so that at the proper time he might exalt us, casting all of our anxieties on him. Because he cared enough for us to make the door available. But he's not going to change who he is just because I don't want to set my junk down. Number five. When I cast off the works of darkness, then I'm ready. Then I'm able to put on the armor of light. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
So then, let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You can't hold a whole lot on the inside of armor. I've never tried that on. If you've ever seen, I mean, from ancient all the way through medieval armor, there's not a whole lot of room in there to breathe. Those people understood that. There isn't room for selfishness in the armor of light. There, there, there isn't room for rebellion in the armor of light. Let's, let's walk properly. As if we're walking in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy. That junk doesn't fit inside of the armor of light and you can't carry it through the narrow door. But even if I've carried it for a long time in the past, I'm willing to lay it on the outside and pass through the door marked by the blood of the Lamb of God. And I'm ready to confess that I believe He is the Son of God. I believe He died for my sins. I believe He came out of the grave. I believe I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And my marching orders are plain. I I don't belong out there anymore. Why would I feed the flesh? Why would I act like I can live in this narrow way and gratify myself when I belong to the King? Thank you so much for walking through those five doors with me over the last few weeks. Perhaps there's something that we've said even this evening that has made you think, maybe motivated you for the first time. You're ready to make that good confession. You want to walk through that door. You're ready to be buried with Jesus in baptism so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life. Walking, that's what this is about, a lifestyle. If you're tired of living on the outside and you're ready to start walking with the king, we would love to rejoice with you and the angels in heaven right here and right now. If you're ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, would you let us know? Maybe you passed through this door a while back. But life has gotten complicated not because of God, but because of what you're trying to carry. And you know it doesn't fit. You could use some prayers, you could use some encouragement, you could use some accountability. However we can help you. I want you to sing this invitation song as if you really believe that the king is on the other side of this door. He is good. He does good. If we can help you in connecting to him, would you let us know how by coming to the front while we stand and sing?